It's up to us to hold fast that faith, that confident expectation, and know that we're going to see his goodness in the land of the living. Amen? Amen? Well, let's give God a praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being so good to us. Well, before you're seated, you can greet some of the folks around you, and then you can be seated. You know, we just sang that with God all things are possible. Last week we uh, heard a video testimony from Mark Nashton, how he had been working in the parking lot a couple of Sundays ago and was in, in real pain, great pain, and, and how he came in and, and uh, was very attentive to hear what God was speaking to him about forgiveness and uh, realized that there were some things that were out of alignment with what God would want and... Uh, uh, at that moment, he, he realized he needed to forgive some family. And uh, being obedient to God, he found that God healed his heart and also his body. He walked out without any pain. And I'm still checking with him, and he's, he's pain-free. So God is so good. Amen. But, you know, God's doing great things all the time. And, and we're not always aware of everything he's doing. We couldn't possibly be because it would be more than we could, could comprehend. But uh, I just want to share something with you about uh, what happened a couple of weeks ago. We had a call here from someone who asked, uh, was going to face a very um, difficult and dangerous surgery. And uh, when this this person called, uh, they wanted to get their life right with God. Now, um, the connection was, the reason why they called was, uh, this gentleman and his brother had worked on the church. And uh, when he came in, he explained that he was facing brain surgery. And he wasn't sure where his life was with the Lord. And Pastor Gabe and I had the privilege of being able to sit with him and the, the friend that brought him in um, and just talk about that and talk about God's love and God's forgiveness and, and how God is willing to forgive anything and everything if, if we'll just turn to him and trust in him. And, and so he recognized and his friend recognized uh, what God had offered and, and provided and and got their lives right with God. And we prayed and, and for his surgery because uh, the doctor said that he might not make it through and then if he did make it through, there's no telling what condition he'd be in. And, you know, the doctors have to tell you everything, good, bad, and the ugly. And we said, we're praying, we're believing uh, that God's going to bring healing and he will one way or another 
You know, we all have an idea of how we want things done. And uh, it reminded me of when I was praying for uh, my mom who had cancer and um, believing for her healing. And she went on to be with the Lord, and the Lord said, she's now healed. It wasn't your way, but it's my way. And uh, so we, we talked about that. We said, you know, if, if you don't make it through the surgery, you're going to be right in the presence of God. And Monday was the surgery, and um, we hadn't heard anything. And then Thursday, Pastor Gabe, Gabe made a call. And the gentleman we had talked to spoke with him and said, uh, you know, something happened that was unforeseen. And that was that the doctor said, I'm not going to operate. The tumor that's in your brain has decreased in such a great amount that we don't have to operate. And I am, I am... I'm hearing more and more of these miracles that God's doing. And you may say, well, I haven't had my miracle yet. Yeah, you have. If you're saved, you've received a miracle. The greatest miracle of all. Miracle healing is a wonderful thing. But a life to go from death to life is the greatest miracle of all. And uh, if... If we never receive anything else, we've received more than, than what we deserve on our own merits. Amen? Well, today we're going to continue on speaking about and learning about uh, unity uh, that comes through love and how that love is displayed because um, the unity is what is going to, a byproduct of unity with God and with one another is going to bring revival, going to bring souls to, into the kingdom. Uh, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And at the heart of the gospel and, and the, the Bible, uh, it's a revelation of God who is love reaching out in merciful forgiveness to restore relationship and bring abundant life to us, blessing to us. And we're, we're learning about this. We're learning about how God forgives and how he, he reconnects us with him and, and with one another and uh, abounds to us with this amazing life that only comes through him and is not uh, because we have earned it or we deserve it. It's, it's by grace through faith that we're saved and it's a gift. Um, we've, been, we've been learning about this for a number of weeks, but I just want to remind you in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, it talks about how we need to clothe ourselves uh, with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony or perfect unity. It's love that, that connects us. It connects us with God. It's the love of God that reached out to us. And when we reach back, we get a connection with God. But that connection with God, that unity, that oneness with God that Jesus prayed for, uh, causes us to have the ability to, to be one and, and united with one another. And uh, where there's division, uh, there, there is... Um, destruction there is damage done and the enemies behind that division but God's a God of unity and we also looked in verse 12 and 13 that talks about how we clothe ourselves with with tender-hearted mercy or compassion kindness humility gentleness uh, patience and and forgiveness and we ended up 
leaving off last week, and in Romans chapter 12, uh, we're going to start looking at verse 21, but before we do, if you just bow your heads, God has something to say to each one of us. Um, I expect every week, even as I'm teaching, that God will, will impress something on me that will encourage me or adjust me or fortify me or prepare me for what, what he has for me to be and to do. And so, Father, right now, we thank you that you are here. There's no place we can go that you're not. But, Father, we not only are aware of your presence, we request your participation. Father, speak to our lives, our circumstances and situations, your truth that sets us free, your truth that is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, your word, your truth that is life and health to those who find it. We thank you, Father, even as people have been healed before, that people would be healed today. People would be set free. People would be given wisdom and understanding according to your ways and your will. That, Father, we could walk in this world in union and unity with you, in unity with our brothers and sisters, and reveal to the world that we really are your disciples and see your kingdom come and your will done. We thank you, Father, for the good work that you have begun in us that you are faithful to complete because you are at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure by your spirit and through your word. And we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, uh, we looked at this, it says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. We're, we're seeing so much evil all around, but the Bible tells us that's going to happen. In these days that we live in, the last days, and, and you may say, well, I've heard these are the last days. Well, these are the last of the last. Uh, when, when the Bible was written and when that was specifically written, what are, what are the indicators of the last days? Um, we had already started. So... Uh, knowing that we are in the last days, we need to realize that um, the things that, that Jesus spoke about are actually happening, that, that there are divisions, there's hatred, there's, there's deception, um, all the things. There's darkness that's abounding and sin that's abounding. But the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So we as God's people are in this world. We're not of this world. And you may say, well, I'm, I'm pretty much in this world too. We are, but our source is not this world. Our source is the Lord, and, and he will supply everything you need. Uh, when you need it, you may say, well, I don't have it yet. Well, you'll have what you need when you need it because God knows. And, and he's a good God, and he always supplies the best. So in this world, we're going to experience evil. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come at us, but it's not going to overcome us. We're going to be overcomers. The Bible says you are more than conquerors through Christ who loves you. Overwhelmingly more than conquerors. So whatever you face, don't face it alone. Realize that God's there. But this says don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when it says good... Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Um, that word repentance means to change, to turn from evil to good. So this is telling us how God's plan 
is for us to operate in a world that's going downhill quickly, that people who don't know Christ are giving themselves to things that would not be what God intends for us to live like. But we can overcome those things uh, by good. That goodness of God would turn those things that are evil, even people that are doing evil, back towards God. Just like we were turned back towards God. We were, we were once lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet someone or a group of people or a team of people poured into our lives the love of God. And for some unknown way, we began to realize God cared for us and we turned to him and trusted in him. But uh, we don't, we're not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. And uh, we also found out in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 17 and 18 and verse 14, it says this. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. All right? So we see in verse 17 it says, Pay no, repay no one evil for evil. But that's a supernatural work of God in us. Because our natural response to somebody doing something evil or something bad is to do the same thing back to them, isn't it? I, I, I need participation this morning. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and so this is telling us you can't do what you are used to doing, what's been the norm, what we've learned in the world. Uh, you know, the world's golden rule is do unto others before they do unto you. And, and so we've been, we've been influenced by that. We are, are experiencing... Uh, you know, living in a world that, that lives that way, but we need to live it a different way. We have a new and living way. It says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And, and you know, some people, you, you can offer forgiveness, you can forgive them, but they're still going to carry a grudge. They're still going to be offended. That's one of the indicators of the days we live in, that many will be offended. Uh, another indicator is that the love of many will grow cold. That means that there was love at one time, the love of God, but that love of God is growing cold in God's people, and we're not walking in the way that God would have us walk. But it goes on to say in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So we see that if we're going to walk in the unity that God has, it's going to be because there's love. And when we love, we're merciful, we're kind, we're gentle, we're, we're uh, patient, we're humble, we're forgiving. And, and when we forgive, that's not the end of it. Sometimes we think, well, I forgave them, that's enough. Well, that's a lot, but it's not the extent of what God has. If God forgave us and didn't do any more than that, we'd be living in this world trying to do the best we could on our own. How many of you know that's not going to work out as well as God's plan? You know, God's plan is that he loved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were enemies of the cross. He provided forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then when we recognize, repent of going our own way and receive Christ as our Lord, receive that forgiveness, then God begins to do the work in us and through us that was impossible before, but it begins that abundant life.
there's a blessing that begins to come that, that every day we should be realizing more and more of the abundant life, the blessings of God, the blessings of God that God wants to overwhelm you with, not in a way that would cause you not to be able to function, but to be able to function on a level that's higher than you've ever functioned on before, that being blessed, you would be a blessing to the people around you. How many of you know you can't give what you don't have? And so from that standpoint, we receive this blessing. And, and so we don't repay evil for evil. We overcome evil with good. We bless those that persecute us. And, and Jesus lived this life. He showed us how to live it. And we read in the Bible the disciples living the same life. Um, but that's where we have to walk in this. But it's a supernatural walk. Um, and this, this happens because we know the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin, love forgives, and love blesses and builds that connection. After the forgiveness, we start to bless, so there begins this rebuilding process of connection. You may say, well, I don't want to bless the one that, that, that I have to forgive because of the damage they've done to me. Well, I understand that. But it's, it's not about looking at the damage they've done. It's looking about the damage that they've experienced and believing God for blessing in their life and restoration in their life and healing in their life. And that prayer as we pray for God to bless them begins to bring a wholeness to their life where they're not as toxic and they're not as damaging as they were when they did what they did to you. And that's one of the greatest blessings where they would be more aligned with God who is love and living that life of love than ever before. It needs to happen in my life, in your life, in everyone's life. And somebody needs to pray. Somebody needs to believe. Somebody needs to bless and not curse. Amen? And, and today we're going to look at, at two portions of Scripture, both of them in Luke. Uh, but they're dealing with a couple of different things. One is one of the uh, most well-known parables. But... It's sometimes we think of parables as just stories, but um, the thing that many scholars believe and, and affirm are when Jesus would speak a parable and he would say something like a certain person, um, the Good Samaritan. It talks about a certain man went down from Jerusalem uh, or went up to Jerusalem. And when when Jesus would say that a certain man or a certain person or a certain group, it was indicating that it was someone that probably was known by the people that were listening. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 12, it says this. This is uh, the parable of the prodigal son. But it says, and Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to them his livelihood so there's a younger son and uh, he wants to get out and you know the wise father didn't try to talk him out of it keep him home because there would have been resentment there so um, he he divided his livelihood between both sons even though the second son hadn't asked for it and then we know what happened we know that uh, the son took the inheritance and he went to a foreign land and he lived a wild life. And 
you know, it's, it's not uncommon that we have the same temptation that the younger son had. We think someplace else is better. You know, I, I call it the green grass syndrome. I don't know if you've ever noticed, if you see what looks and appears to be really a much better uh, plot of grass, sometimes you get over there and you find out it was just the angle you were looking at. It's just as bare or even bare, more bare uh, than the place you, you were. Um, but he took off and headed to a distant land and he wasted his inheritance. Hard times came, there was a famine. He, he ran out of money, he was in need, and he went to work. And this little Jewish boy went to work feeding pigs, which they weren't supposed to have anything to do with because they were unclean. And he got so desperate that uh, he wanted to eat the pig food. And while he was there, alone, hungry, he came to himself. There was a reality check. And... and he realized where he needed to be. He said, I've, I've got to get back to my father's house. But at that moment that that realization came, he also felt unworthy to go back as a son. You know, when we do things wrong, many times we feel like it's, we can't go back to God until we prove that we're worthy to come back. And yet God's waiting for us to turn to him and trust in him because there's nothing we can do that's going to change his love for us. But uh, he began to walk back to his father's house, dirty, hungry, broken. And he rehearsed what he was going to say to his father. In verse 20, we see that it says, uh, and he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, we read that the son was coming and the father saw him a great way off. What, what does that tell us? You think it was just by accident that day he happened to go out there and he looked and he thought, Gee, that looks like my kid. I, I personally don't believe that. I believe this father who loved his son was looking for his son's return every day, just like God does for us. No, God is, is not going to change his love for us if we take off with all the things he's given us and go our own way. And I will tell you, sometimes we do that. The blessing of God comes. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've watched this happen and, and wondered what heartbreak comes to God where there are people believing God for certain things, maybe a new job or, or a, uh, a relationship or a new car or a boat or whatever. And... I've stood and, and agreed in prayer because I don't believe God's against those things. I believe God wants us blessed. But I also believe God doesn't want us worshiping the blessing. That, that he wants to bless us with all things as long as those things don't become the priority to us. And it's easy to have that happen. 
And, and when I've seen the blessing come in some instances, it was the very thing that, well, you know, I got this new job, and I know God gave me the job, but I'm going to work all this overtime. So I can't be a part of the res kids, or I can't be in service. I'm going to tell you something. God's not going to give us something that's going to take us away from him. But we can allow the things that God gives us to become more important than him. And in that moment, that idolatry will rob us of, of the things that God intended that blessing to bring. And so... Um, the father, the father was, I'm sure he was hurt, but he was looking, lovingly looking for the son. And, and when he saw him, it said he had compassion. Now, what did we learn in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12? How does love act? Compassionately, mercifully? This man, this father who was dishonored, who was dealt with wrongly, who was basically told by his youngest son, Dad, I want what you have, but I don't want you. How many of you know that hurts? Would it be easy to be offended? to be unforgiving, to almost have an anger rise up in you every time you thought about what that, that child did, how ungrateful that child was. And yet, that's not the perspective of the dad. He's looking for his son. When he saw him, it wasn't, I can't wait until he gets here and I'm going to just ream him out. He had compassion on him. I want you to know this is who your heavenly father is. He, he is looking for you. He, no matter where you go, what you do, he's there. But he's not going to override our choices. But he is there the moment we turn to him and trust in him to restore and redeem and, and God redeems, the Bible says, to the uttermost. It says when he was still a ways off, he saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. When it says that he ran to him, that doesn't mean a lot to us in, in our society, in our culture, but I want you to understand that was something you never saw an adult male do. Now, we run all the time. We run for exercise. We, they didn't have to run for exercise. They had enough exercise just doing life. But there was a, an honor. I, that's not really the right word. But adult men didn't run because it wasn't what they should do. And yet he had compassion on him and he ran. You know what the dad did? He humbled himself. He said, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Can you imagine if people saw this happening? What if you were part of that town and, and you knew that this kid had done what he had done? 
and you're seeing the dad and you're seeing a man who was abandoned, who was used and abused uh, in, in a way that his, his son treated him. And they see him running towards the son. What do you think was in their mind? Man, he is mad. He can't wait. We can't wait to see how he deals with this kid when he gets to him. I, I, would, I would probably think that. And they see him run, and that's something, you know, this kid's in for it. Nobody ever runs. This man's running. And this man's running not because of what they think, but because of his love, his compassion, his care, his desire to reconnect with his son. And he runs up to his son, and everybody's waiting for him to deck him. Is it okay to read the Bible with imagination? I think God intended us to do that. And, and he runs up to his son, and people are watching, and, and he hugs him. And they're like, oh, what? What's going on? Do you know this happens in the body of Christ? God moves towards us and, and blesses us and restores us, and people are like, oh, I can't wait until God gets a hold of that person that went off on a tear and was doing all sorts of things God didn't want. And, you know, they're going to get their just desserts. And then they're like, how come they're getting blessed? Because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. If that's what God uses, isn't that what we should use? It goes on to say, he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight now I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, at this point, he, he is repenting. He is owning it. But the father's already forgiven him. And now it's up to restoration. But part of this is the son's got this skewed perspective. I don't deserve to be a son. What did you do to earn being a son? You were born, right? Isn't that how sons and daughters happen? You know, we don't, we don't wait in the delivery room and say, okay, what are you going to do to prove you're my son? Prove you're my daughter. If it works that way, understand it works that way in the kingdom. When you come into the kingdom, you become a son or daughter of the Most High God. It's not about proving. It's just who you are and you will be to your father no matter what. Sometimes we have these just ungodly perspectives that I've got to earn or I've got to prove. There's not enough we can do to earn or prove that we're sons or daughters. It's about turning to trusting in and being born of God. And so it says, the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this was my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to make merry. So this is all happening. He's run to his son. They're coming towards the house. 
the older son is in the field. And he hears all this commotion going on and sees people going around and doing all sorts of things. And he's wondering what's happening. And he's asked, what's going on? And they tell him, your brother's back. Your brother's back. Your dad's so happy. And, and the dad at that point says, okay, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Now, when we look at this, okay, all right, he's celebrating the return of the son, but it's not just a celebration. The fatted calf was for the most important of people. You just didn't do this. This was a rare occasion, and now they're doing it for this kid that has returned looking like a loser returned in defeat, had left in arrogance and pride and selfishness, and now he's broken and he's coming home and, and they're honoring him like, not like he should be honored in their society. Do you know if, if uh, a child in that society at that time had dishonored parents. They had the right to stone them and kill them. I mean, that's a lot more harsh than our society. And, and so what we're seeing is something that is just mind-boggling to the people that were, were being told this. This was, this was not even in the realm of what they would consider. But he says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Where do you think the best robe was? Think about it. In the father's closet, because it was the father's. The father always has the best. And so they went in and got dad's robe. Here's a kid, remember, where did he come to himself? Where was he when, when reality set in and, and he realized, I got to get home? In the pigsty. It was not the most hygienic place. He hasn't eaten. He's got no place to sleep. No place to bathe. He's tending pigs. This is what's coming. This is what he looks like. He's a mess. He stinks. He's repulsive. Visually, sensory. And they say, get the best robe. Why? Because what the dad had intended to do was immediately cover. Love covers a multitude of sins. Immediately cover the son in the best. Anybody looking at him would see the best robe. Well, that's a nice story. I want to tell you something. You have experienced that. I have experienced that. Any child of God has experienced that. Because in Isaiah 61, it tells us that God clothes us with his robe of righteousness. What is that? 
the right standing that we have with God, everything right with God, God puts over all our filth. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says our, our righteousness is as, is as filthy rags, but he clothes us with his robe of righteousness. Jesus gives us his righteousness for our filthy righteousness. It's, again, it is absolutely mind-boggling. Then it says, put a ring on his finger. Now, they've, they've restored him so people can't look on his filth. Put a ring on his finger. It was a signet ring. This is a restoration to right standing in the family. He is fully restored in family as far as being a representative and equal in the family. And then it says, put sandals on his feet. And this was for the son to realize that he's not coming back as a servant. He is a son. Then in verse 28, we drop down and we, we find out that There, all this is going on. And it says the older son was angry, wouldn't go in. So what's happened? You know, the, the older son, man, he's been a good guy. He's been with his dad. He's been serving his dad. He's been doing all sorts of things. His younger son took off. There was a division in the family because of the younger son, but the dad forgave him, so there wasn't a division, but the younger son didn't know it. Because that love was still as strong as ever before. And now the younger son comes back and things start to happen and the older son gets mad. Says he's angry. This is, this is a word that, that indicates that he was enraged with outbursts of anger. Wow. Something's below the surface in this situation. The older son, why is he angry? He ought to be happy. He ought to be as happy as his dad that the younger son came home. And he wouldn't go in. So there's a restoration between the father and the younger son. And now there's a division that's now presented itself between the older son the father and the younger son. See, the enemy is not going to just lay down and, and give up when, when God restores things. He's going to start working in anyone and anywhere he can. And you and I need to be careful of this. I want to tell you that I believe with everything in me and I see in the scripture that there's going to be a return, a return of people who have walked away from God, brothers and sisters who have walked away from God. They're going to return to what God has for them, where God has for them to be. And, and we who have been faithful have to be very careful of not looking at those that are coming back that have gone out and done all sorts of things and not been faithful and, and not sacrificed like we have 
that we don't get this older son's attitude and begin to bring division in the body when God's uniting the body. Hello? He wouldn't go in. Therefore, look at what the father does. He leaves the son that's just returned, and now he goes out to minister to the older son who's now just absolutely beside himself with anger. And he pleads with him. This is the dad. In that society, at that time, when a dad told his son to do something, you didn't have to plead. You just said it. Come on in, we're going to celebrate your, your brother. But he doesn't go out that way. He goes out again humbly, compassionately, mercifully, graciously. And, and the older son answers the father and says, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. I, I know that may have been a little dramatic, but I think it was probably even more dramatic when this older son said it. So... There's a revelation of what's going on underneath, what has been transpiring. Was he serving his dad all these years because he loved his dad and just wanted to be a blessing? <laughs> no. You know, people do a lot of good things for a lot of bad reasons. Oh, come on. I, I've been known to do things that look really good. And, and my... my Motivation wasn't God. Uh, God's cleaning that up in my life. Has been for years. Will continue until I go to see him or he comes. But it's not just about our good works. It's about the reason behind we're doing what we're doing. Are we doing what we're doing so that we feel better? You know, a lot of times people give because it makes them feel better. Are we doing what we're doing so we'll be seen by other people in a good light? It's not just the acts, it's the motivation. God looks on the heart. And, and we need to realize what's going on in our heart and only God can reveal it. He said, I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Anybody see any problems with that? Seriously. All of a sudden, he comes out with, I've never done anything wrong concerning you. So he and Jesus are the only two perfect people. And because he's got this perspective, and is this accurate that he never transgressed any commandment at any time? When you get into those kind of vast, I never did it ever, anytime, any way, you know that he's, he's deceived. Right? Just like we are when we think that. <laughs> and where there's deception, there's loss. And he was losing a lot. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Ah, contraire. Verse 12, it says he divided to both of them. Back when the younger son wanted his, he took a third. The older son got two-thirds. The father gave him 
two-thirds of the livelihood. It was his to do with what he wanted. And now he's saying, you never gave me anything, but he, again, that deception causes us not to see reality. And it, it brings division. It goes on to say in verse 31, the older son was upset that the younger son had devoured your livelihood with harlots and you filled, killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The older brother is trying to, he's, he's so upset. And he's upset supposedly for what the son did to the father. But now he's hurting the father for it. He's offended. But he's jealous, he's envious because he said, you never gave me. You're not treating me like him. Folks, where there's envy and jealousy and strife, the Bible says there's every evil work. When God blesses somebody else, don't be envious. Be ecstatic. Rejoice because God's blessing them and God's going to bless you. But God may not bless you with what he blessed them with because their need is different than your need. And I'm going to tell you this, whether you like it or not, God doesn't do fair. Because he does better than fair, he does best. He doesn't give us all the same, he gives us all the best. And what I need may not be what you need. And we may not know what we need, but we know what we want and we see what they have and that's what we want. But God knows that in our wants, if we might have gotten that, that might have led us away from him. You don't have to say amen. It's still true. God knows what's best for us. God always gives us the best. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so we don't have to envy anybody else, but this older brother did. And he, he paid a price for it. He, was, he had a pity party. You didn't give me. Whenever we get into that, whenever we get into pity parties, we've got to be aware. Not too many people are going to show up for that. But I'll tell you one who always will, and that's the devil. He'll always show up to our pity parties and tell us how bad we have it and how unfair it is and how we deserve so much more, and it's going to make us even more angry and offended. Don't, don't fall into that trap. But this older, older brother didn't even recognize his flaws, his failures. And it gave him the perspective of superiority to look down on his brother. Folks, I'm telling you, there's no one we can look down on. And when we realize... As the younger brother did, he realized that there's no reason his father should have done what he did, but he did it anyways. It wasn't based on him. And so the father freely did this to the younger son, and the older son was upset about it. 
But the older son never realized how many times the father freely was merciful and gracious and generous with him. Because we're not always aware of what God's doing in our lives, but everything he's doing is good. And sometimes we find ourselves thinking we're superior to somebody else. That pride, that arrogance rises up in us and causes us to think, I can look down on this one because I'm not like them. But folks, we all are sinners saved by grace. And the only thing that, that makes us what we are, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God. None of us can take credit for this. If anything good is happening in our lives or through our lives, it's because of God. He gets the glory, and we stay humble, recognizing what we didn't deserve, and he graciously gave to us and mercifully gave to us. But we tend to become prideful and arrogant and critical and judgmental and unforgiving and deceived and feeling superior when we don't recognize that we're no different than anybody else, that we have our flaws, our frailties, and our failures. And we need the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the love of God. But when we become humble, just like the Bible tells us love does, when we humble ourselves, the grace of God abounds to us. We, not in a demeaning or derogatory way, recognize the sin that has been in our lives and the sin that may currently be in our lives because there's sin in all of our lives. we realize the love that God's extending to us and the forgiveness and the many blessings that we don't deserve and we begin to be more loving and forgiving and willing to bless those that don't seem to deserve it either. And, and that takes us to another, another uh, situation in, with Jesus in, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7. Uh, in verse 39, we're going to start there, but that's not where this starts. Uh, it starts in verse 36, and it's, it's talking about where a Pharisee came to Jesus and said, you know, come to my house and have dinner with me. I want you to come and, and eat with me. We don't know exactly why uh, he did this, but usually when Pharisees were inviting Jesus in, it wasn't for a good thing. It was to try and entrap him. And uh, when he went, and it was known, Jesus was in this guy's house, and, and crowds show up. And a woman shows up, and uh, she was well-known in town for her sin. And picking this up, she begins to, to take care of Jesus in a way that, that the host didn't. But in verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, that this woman began to, to minister to him, uh, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Very critical and judgmental as if he was without sin. Remember, remember when the woman was caught in adultery and they brought, him, brought her to Jesus and, and the, the outcome of it was 
Jesus said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, they started to leave, one by one by one. And they all left. And Jesus said, where, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. And he said, I don't, I don't condemn you either. I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. But right here, he's looking down on this woman. And he's looking down on Jesus. You got to know you're not doing well when you're looking down on God, right? How come you're not doing this, God? Well, we don't ever do that, do we? And Jesus answered and said to him, can you imagine just sitting there again? Just think about this, this situation. Simon the Pharisee is looking at what's happening. and He's already judged the woman. She's a, a hopeless cause. What's she doing here? And why is she touching him? Now she's judging Jesus. If he knew who she was, if he was a prophet, and Jesus, knowing what he said, says, Simon, I want to talk to you. I want to say something to you. I think in that moment, Simon's like, how did he know? Wouldn't that be a clear indication he's a prophet? (laughs) Simon, I have something to say to you. So he says, teacher, say it. And then he begins to teach. And he says, a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and another 50. Now, a denarii was a day's wage. So the 500 was well over a year's worth of wages. Uh, and, and 50 was pretty, pretty big, too. It goes on to say, and when they had, had nothing to, with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon Anderson said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have judged rightly. You know, they're trying to entrap Jesus. And Jesus turns it back on him and says, hey, you know, these two people, they're both freely forgiven. But which one do you think is going to love, love the one that forgave them freely more? And he said, well, I suppose. He knew Come on, man. The one who was forgiven more. Now, it's true, but both of them would love him. But when you're forgiven so much and you're aware of how much you have been given freely and fully, it just turns your heart in a way that is amazing. In verse 47... Jesus goes on to say this. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. I just want to close this out today with with us thinking about that. One of the reasons why we don't show much love much compassion, much mercy, much kindness, much humility is because we don't recognize how much God has forgiven us. One of the things that's... 
I never really wanted to look at or become aware of how merciful and gracious God had been because in doing that, I felt like the younger son I don't deserve. I don't deserve God to love me. I don't deserve God to forgive me. I don't deserve to be anything. Because I was, I was overwhelmed by how, and I didn't fully understand it, how holy God is and how unholy I was. And even at these, this time in my life and my walk with God, there are moments in time where the enemy is so subtle and so deceptive where that kind of comes back where I feel, God, I'm not worthy. And God says, you never were, but I'm choosing. I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to forgive you. I'm choosing to bless you. And if I'm choosing to do it, you need to be willing and ready to receive it freely and fully. When that happens, when we realize God has, God has forgiven us so much, God has blessed us with so much we don't deserve, it's like what we see, the transformation and the transition in the Apostle Paul's life. The Apostle Paul says at one point in his life, he said, you know, I'm a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm up there. And then he says, you know, I'm the least of all the apostles. And then near the end of his life, he says something that is just absolutely amazing. And he doesn't say it in a demeaning way, but he says it in a way that he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. And he's acknowledging, you know, God, I've done so many things wrong. I've persecuted the church. I've killed your followers. I've imprisoned your followers. I've tortured your followers. But God, you've loved me and you've given me the honor and the blessing to be able to serve you and to serve other people, the people that I was persecuting. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for blessing me with the honor of serving you, being useful in your kingdom and reaching souls for eternity. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Because this is a moment, in the Bible we see in the, in the Psalms many times it says Selah, which means pause and reflect. This is a Selah moment. I'm not asking you to go into the depths of what you've done wrong, but recognize what we've done wrong. We did not deserve what God did for us. And we need to realize God's love God's forgiveness, God's blessing is not based on our worthiness or our work. It's based on what he is and what he chooses to do all the time. And not to dwell on our unworthiness, but being aware that we didn't deserve. We didn't get what we did deserve. God was merciful. And we got what we didn't deserve. God was gracious. 
And if God's treated us this way, we need to treat others this way. This is what is going to happen when we walk in this love. This unconditional love that is selfless, that is sacrificial, that is serving, that is not dependent on what anybody else does. It's a decision we make on our own and we say, all right, God, you've, you've done this to me. If you've done it to me, I'm going to do it to others. And begin to live this love. And show it in our compassion and in, in our kindness, in our humility, in our gentleness, in our patience, in our forgiveness, and in our blessing. Father, help us. Help us not let, just hear what we sometimes think is a story in a book. Help us to hear the words of life. Help us hear the transforming work of God. Help us not just be flooded by your love like your, your word says that Holy Spirit does, but let that love truly be manifest in the characteristics that we're learning about love and the character of love which is forgiving and, and the proactive move of blessing those that curse us and persecute us and offend us and, and do all the things they do. Father, help us not respond in kind, but help us supernaturally rise up with your presence, your power, and your provision to be able to live this abundant life. Father, forgive us for the times we have not given what you've given us. And, and fortify us and prepare us and empower us to now give what you've given us. Freely we've received, freely we give. And we thank you for this new and living way. Father, we know that it is supernatural, but we also know that it's not natural to us. And so we have to intentionally choose you Choose your way. Choose to do what you said, Lord, to be your follower. We deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and we follow you. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand? Thank you for being here today. Thank you for loving God. Thank you for living this week with God and on behalf of God towards all the people you come in contact with that he loves. There's not a one that we come in contact with this week that God doesn't love and God didn't give his son for. And so we have the opportunity to minister to them on behalf of God. Father, I just thank you for every one of your children. I thank you for your work in their lives, in our lives. I thank you, Father, that we are growing in your grace and in your knowledge. We're, we're experiencing the transformation that you said, not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Father, we would, we would be led by your spirit. We would be filled overflowing with your love. We would walk with fruit being manifest, being united with you in oneness and one with our brothers and sisters and reaching the world 
for your glory and your honor. Thank you, Father. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.